0: Welcome to Afternoon Asks, where two Asian K-drama fans, Sarah and Grace, ask and hopefully answer all of our drama-related questions. We also share Korean and Chinese language tips, as well as our experiences as diaspora Asians living in the UK and US. Join us as we delve into the details and context of the dramas we all love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Afternoon It Asks. Today, we are excited to welcome my friend William Han on to talk about the history of wuxia, as well as its cultural context and impact. So why
1: are we covering wuxia? Um, Of Chinese historical dramas, they broadly, for me anyway, fall into three categories. Wuxia, which are warrior and martial arts based dramas often, but not always centered around real historical characters or a real period of Chinese history. We're going to discuss in a lot more detail about Wu xia with William shortly. So I'll go on to the next category, which is Xian xia. And here, Xian meaning immortal and Xia meaning warrior or kind of meaning warrior. Again, we're going to go into this with William. This covers dramas that feature gods and demons, fairies and dragons um, and have time spans that cover millennia. Um categories uh, of this drama are love between fairy and devil or till the end of the moon um, so some of the more popular dramas uh, that often viewers have been watching recently are CTS and then for me there is the third category which are kind of historical rom-coms and they're more actual like rom-coms but they just happen to be set in a undefined historical time and in historical costumes but effectively they're they're like modern rom-coms, um, and not really covered by either of the other two categories. But today, we're going to be mainly focusing on Yeah.
0: Yes. Um, but first, we're going to do a bit more of an introduction. William and I met during our first year of law school, before he transferred to a more prestigious school. But <laughs> I thought of it recently, when Sarah and I recorded our first episode on Confucianism, because he talks a lot about that on his own podcast.
1: Yay, William, so nice Yay. to meet you. I'm so um nice to meet you. happy. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy that you're coming onto to our podcast to talk about this and we can have a bit of a nerd out about the history of wolves. Yeah. But um before we Thank do that could you me. tell us a yeah. little bit about yourself and your podcast?
2: Sure. Uh about myself. So I'm originally from Taiwan. I was born there. Um I I lived there until the age of 12. So I went through the, all the 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 normal public schools had the, the the Taiwanese education uh until we my family decided to move to New Zealand of all places when I was 12. And then uh later on I went to America for uh college and uh like Grace said law school um where <laughs> where I transferred from one school to another for the sake of prestige because I'm a snob. Uh, <laughs> that's just kind of who I am. <laughs> and um, so I've been a lawyer. Um I am now not so much a lawyer, more of a writer. I um, and I, well, I've also done the occasional journalism and I, I still do that a little bit now, and I um published an essay recently actually about Taiwan. um and uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm more of a writer now. i uh, I published a book last year um about it's a travel log about my travels through China and um, and um, uh, Central Asia. And, oh, great. Yeah. And uh, now I am doing screenwriting, trying to break it into Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um,
2: but so, yeah. So in the meantime, I sort of started this this podcast, which um, I somewhat mysteriously named The Master of Demon Gorge, <laughs> say, which is a <laughs> reference. It's, it's a reference to a guy from... The, the sort of the fourth century BC. Yeah. Uh, we'll leave that story for another time. Um, and so it's it's a Chinese history podcast, and uh, I I, st- I started it as a hobby. Really, I'm I'm doing it because I enjoy it because I mm. I like talking about Chinese history and culture, uh, my heritage. Um, and it uh, I also started it because it occurred to me that to some extent, if I if I do say so myself, I am perhaps a little bit better positioned than uh than other members of the diaspora in talking about chinese history and tradition and literature because it is my first language you know i'm not i'm not a second gen uh immigrant i'm i'm what i think the scholars call the one and a half generation right where you know mm-hmm. you actually started having the 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 traditional education in the old country and then you sort of left halfway uh, yeah. and then Then, because I just happen to be uh, the sort of nerd who is uh, (laughs) a lot more interested in history and traditional literature than your average bear. Um, Sort of, you know, I I read a lot of the books and uh, growing up or even after. So, so I just thought, you know what, why don't I, since I mean, I enjoy talking about it anyway, why don't I just do this podcast and talk about stuff I care about and that other members of the diaspora may not find quite as accessible as it is to me. So, yeah, absolutely. That's
1: great. We'll check it out. And we'll also be putting Williams, um, the link to his book and his podcast in the show notes uh, for those of you who want to check it out, but I'm definitely going to check it out. Thanks. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. and um, for those of you who are interested in the story behind the Master of Demon Gorge,
2: um,
0: <laughs> I believe it's a great, that, it's a great well, name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that the uh, story is told in the very first episode of um, Williams' podcast, it is. so you can check it out. <laughs> and I,
2: tried, I, I just <laughs> drop a tantalizing hint. A more okay. literal transla- a more a more literal translation would have been the Master of Ghost Valley. I decided at the time that the uh, Gorge sounded better, but <laughs> well, literally, it's Ghost Valley. But um, please do check it out if you if if, if, if that interests you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, so William, we generally start off by asking guests what their favorite or get to know you dramas are. But yeah. um, my understanding is you are not currently much of a drama watcher. Um, so, do you have any old
2: favorites? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. When you when you when we talked about uh, me coming on, I was a little bit like, you know, I'm not sure. Am I am I your uh, you know demographic here exactly? But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I, I believe I may have this in common with with you, Sarah. The the um, when I was a when I was very young in Taiwan, we got all the Hong Kong dramas. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, particularly in in the wuxia genre, we got all the uh, the Jin Yong adaptations. Uh, uh, maybe on a delay or I think maybe I, I might might have seen them on reruns, I'm not sure, um, because that you know, I checked the dates when those actually came out. It's like, well, that's a little bit early. I can't imagine I would remember that, but but yeah. you know maybe maybe maybe, you know, maybe it was on rerun a couple years later. But anyway, the classic uh, Hong Kong productions from that time were all shown on Taiwanese TV, dubbed in Mandarin, of course. Uh, yes. And I remember watching those with uh, my family. Um, I distinctly remember the the Tianlong Babu adaptation. Uh, Tianlong Babu, I guess in English is uh, the Demigods and and semi devils. Is that is that how it's translated? Anyway. I think so. I
1: only know <laughs> well, the Chinese titles. Really by yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: The Chinese titles are hard to yeah, um, not so easy to translate. And then uh, I remember the Return of the Condor Heroes, Shen Diao Starring is a classic, yeah, future, new future mega star Andy Lau as yes. as Yang Guo, yeah. Um, so so I grew up with some of those shows, um, and then later on, as you know, you know they readapt those. The same books over and over so every sort of there's a there's a there's like an, another version of condor heroes like every decade basically every decade yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so i remember watching a new version i think the 2017 version i remember watching that um of, of the, the the condor heroes um and uh y- yeah <laughs> so i'm more of a books guys I, I guess it's the, <laughs> it's the ultimate <laughs> yeah, answer yeah
1: and for the, like for those of you who joined uh me and grace on our first ever pod i talked about how so obviously i'm i'm british born chinese so i got my hong kong um tvb dramas back then on vhs tape so we'd have to borrow them from the local store and you know we'd have to kind of take two episodes at a time and obviously some of these like <laughs> these these series go on for like 60 episodes it's like 30 tapes so you have to kind of keep kind of watching them and then returning them and watching them return and then you might not get like the next set of tapes because, you know, somebody else has borrowed them. It was just you think back to it it's such a crazy way
2: to watch right
1: to watch T V. But yeah, they hold um
2: We didn't have that problem, obviously. It was on TV. Yeah, but it was you were just on but... TV. <laughs> yeah. Right. But for the kids out there, this was before you could you know, this was before streaming. This was before, <laughs> yeah, before streaming, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. You gotta, yep. you have to be there at the right time. You gotta be in front you have of the to TV down. The, right. You have to settle yeah. down. Right. You right. have to settle down and know what time <laughs>
1: it was. But then it was like a family viewing thing. So I think that's what you know. So a lot of yeah. my own childhood memories are wrapped up in watching, um as you said, Chantel and the what's the what's the one that? So my my brain has kind of <laughs> missed the 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 like the companion the companion uh, program to. So um,
2: there three of them. So this yeah, so n- is the first one. chanel yes, is second, one. and then Etienne can't the you third Use the third one, when, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Grace so is like well, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Yeah, the, so the, the Condor like trilogy. Yeah, the Condor the trilogy. The Condor trilogy.
1: Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah. that was like right. the basis of. I just remember a lot of my play with my brother when we were young was like reenacting a lot of those, like,
2: sure, those, sure, those martial arts <laughs> scenes. So I, have, we, all I have, we all did that. We all did that. It's so great. Kids, it was just so you know? much part yeah. of
1: my childhood. Um, <laughs> yeah. So then, how did you go on from that? Like, what did you, what do you recall as then your experiences of all Share? Like, what was it that really kind of, you know, got you uh, immersed in it?
2: Well, then I read all the books. Uh, <laughs> well, then, well, then as i got slightly older it you know i realized that yeah you know, these were based on books you know these shows that they they existed and um we used to visit my grandparents on the weekends and my grandmother had the complete set of of on her bookshelves yeah and everybody in my family except my dad for some reason he never could get into usha but every other <laughs> member of my family who was my you know my elders my 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 aunts and uncles and and, and my parents uh, except my dad obviously um... <laughs> my grandparents everybody had read the Jingong books I remember my uncle I remember hearing stories about my uncle how when he was a student he would get in trouble because he'd be like hiding in a bathroom trying to read the books when he should be you know going to <laughs> class or something um and so 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 i just started borrowing the books from 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 grandma uh, one volume at a time and um and as you know these books are addictive so it's so you know sure the full the full condor trilogy may add up to five thousand pages but you yeah. start reading them you get through them yeah. and so so after um uh a certain amount of time i just read i just finished reading all of the books Um, and that was when I begged for something else to read. And my mom was like, well, you can read actual, uh, Chinese classics. Now, if you, if you feel you're up to it, you know, here's, here's the romance of the three kingdoms, you know, there you go. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So. Wait, and
0: this was when you were 10, 11, that was starting to read the Chinese classics. Awesome. Yeah. Amazing. That is awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I never went to, I definitely never read those in the original Chinese.
2: (laughs) Chinese well, classics. They're not, I mean, I, I read them, but obviously when you're a child, there's things you don't understand. And yeah, yeah. I was actually recently rereading the I was re- recently rereading C O G The Journey to the West. Yes. And um and um literally just uh just the other day came across this bit I never thought about before. Chapters 57 and 58. Um is like a Dostoevsky <laughs> episode. Um, basically. Like like um Basically, the main character, Sun Kong, he like runs into his double, like Dostoevsky's The Double. He just runs into another monkey who's exactly like him. And then oh. and it's like, I never thought about that. And, it's, and, and 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 I sort of went down a rabbit hole there. It's like, what does it mean? It's like, turns out there's all kinds of literary interpretations about it. Anyway, ah. so so there's a lot of things one does not understand as a child. And I read uh, Hong Lo when I was 12, The Dream of the Red Chamber. And it's like, that is a very complex book. That's like Marcel Proust's level and you know complexity and it's like okay yeah i read it do i understand it yeah you know. yeah
1: well i read the english translation at 20 something read passages in chinese and i still didn't understand it i might maybe i'll try it again when i'm 60 and i might be able to like finally <laughs> finally understand but yeah journey into the west of yeah. those like drama viewers some um, some might know it as 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 monkey that was kind of like an ad- like an early childhood adaptation of of that um yeah. really famous chinese classic yeah but th- yeah. that's another that's another text that gets a new adaptation every like decade or so um right, so that's right. probably one of the more famous ones
2: yeah yeah huh. so um cool. yeah so so you know so it's a little bit um funny because the 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 Jing Yong's complete wuxia books are to me sort of are sort of like YA books are to a lot of <laughs> right. other, it's you know uh, even though they're not meant as YA books um like- sort of yeah. the way I grew they, up it was kind of it was like my like my you read age.
0: them like like we read at Harry
2: age, Potter or something at <laughs> that right yeah. The age it, yeah. yeah yeah
1: and they are really accessible in them. I think that's quite a good comp actually because they're very accessible and the world building is huge and the influence is huge so it becomes like lingua franca if you're talking about well, yeah, that you know yeah. there is a lot of kind of well, the world that he built
2: you know, I would argue that Zingham books are much more complex than the Harry Potter books. But, you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they I'm, <are>. sure <laughs> right. I'm sure that's <laughs> right. <laughs> But, um, maybe, more you, maybe more talky. Maybe more talky. Yeah, like <laughs> reading them,
0: like just just addictively paging yes. through them. You know that yeah. that
2: the addictive, addictive quality. Right. Exactly. That sounds like
0: the way that we all kind of devoured Harry Potter back when that yeah. came out. So yeah. yeah. So but awesome. I think we're going to talk more about Jin-Yong, we'll talk more right? about
2: Jin Yong later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: we'll talk <laughs> more about Jin Yong later. <laughs> but maybe we should start from the beginning. So. <laughs> Uh-huh. what exactly is wuxia? <laughs> and am i saying it okay <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah that the, the um U-shia. i guess you guys do like a linguistic uh section on the yeah uh yes. on, on your pods, right so the xia typically is with an x in the modern pinyin often spelled h s if you're in taiwan um it's it's not so it's not so easy to pronounce for for folks who are not used to it it's it's the x is it's kind of like an sh it's a sh except you don't you don't twist your tongue right so it's it's at the at the tip of your lips xia. so i like to it's a consonant in in mandarin that doesn't exist in a lot of other languages um i i think of it as being like imagine a snake hissing <laughs>
0: xia <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so
2: yeah and this character is key i think to um at least to to in, in my mind is key um the concept of the xia um so so okay wu xia is what we call this genre of um of fiction and and film and tv of course and uh the two characters wu, um so wu means fighting combat war but mm. <laughs> very interestingly, I think very interestingly, the the way the Chinese character is formed, the character wu is formed from two parts, zhi and ge, zhi means to stop, to end. Mm-hmm. Ge is a kind of ancient weaponry. So mm. as, a, as a metonym, it also means war, combat. So the character for combat is made of the parts stop and combat. So to fight is not to fight, is actually what the character says.
0: Interesting.
2: And this has been observed since, well, obviously, you know, we don't know when exactly, there's legends about it, but we can't establish when the characters were formed. It's thousands of years Mm -hmm. ago. But the the fact that the character is made up of these two parts, so, so it contains its own contradiction. Um, is observed as early as the Zhuan, the, uh, the 左 tradition. Uh, 左 was just the guy who wrote it, the guy we think wrote it. Um, so it's like 500 BC text, uh, history text, and where it's already formed as a as Yu, a as sort of like a proverbial expression. Wu This to stop combat is combat. Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> did I just blow your mind? That's,
0: uh, I mean, it, uh, yeah. No, it's I very poetic. <laughs> I
1: had heard that before. I hadn't put it together with the entomology of the
2: character yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah it's there in the right although you might also interpret it less philosophically or well well maybe equally philosophically but another sense might be um that the art of combat consists in finishing the fight mm. right mm-hmm. it's not yes. n- none of the preliminaries matter it's just like i said there's a saying in Real life martial arts, uh, yeah. it's not, it's not the 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 comings and going and the rounds, it's just that one strike, yeah, that and en- that ends the fight, right? Yeah, it's all that matters, um, anyway. So that's w- and then, sha <laughs> is what we call this class of people. I'm not going to get into that, but sha, okay, sha is made up of the parts, so it's got the person radical right on the left, and okay, let's. So that tells us this refers to a type of person. Okay, let's take that off for a second. And we're left with the character jia, which means to be caught in between things or to fold or like a hair clip or a folder or something like that, right? But that character is formed from the parts. Uh, it's, it's formed from two uh, two copies of the person for character, uh, the, the character for a person again, then. Mm. And standing between them is the character da, large, big. But the character big, da, was also a drawing of a person. It's a person with his arms outstretched. Mm. So da originally meant like a big person, a a person of high status, as opposed to ren, which is like a a regular person. So the gia is like is um, uh, a a big person, an important person, a morally superior person, caught between two minor people. So what does that mean? Is it Mm -hmm. one person standing between two others, as as in sort of intervening in a dispute? Is it Mm -hmm. that the two small people are helping the big person? These are all possible interpretations. Or is it Mm -hmm. the two small people are threatening the person in the middle through a threat of violence? So... We're not sure. Scholars debate the etymology of this, but I think, as you'll see, all all those all of those interpretations arguably feed into the concept of the concept of the xia in 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 Chinese tradition. I think. Yeah. So so we get mentions of the xia from already in the ancient texts. Well, ancient, you know, two thousand years ago is that ancient? Um, <laughs> rather. <laughs> Relative to uh, two thousand, two three, two thousand three hundred, four hundred years ago, we already get in the mentions of a class of people called the Xia. So we have, we have in uh, the Sima Qian, the, the Han dynasty historian, you know, his 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 great work, the Shiji, the historical records, or sometimes called the Records of the Grand Historian, where he has a, a chapter called the biographies of the roving xia, mm. where he, he tells us what, what that means. like what, Who is a xia? And he says, well, the xia are people who don't follow conventional law or morality, but who have their code, who always do as they promise, who always keep their promises, and who uh, are always prepared to give their lives for a cause they believe in, mm-hmm. so so you start to get the part coming in. You you there's a you have to be prepared to fight for your beliefs, yeah. right? It's because the the xia are people who often resort to violence <laughs> to to achieve their ends. And um, so so Sima Qian writes about um, some of the xia in his own time, the, the Han Dynasty. Um, and then in another chapter, the biographies of the assassins. He talks about, well, the assassins, um, who would also who would also come under the definition of the xia, uh, except they, you know, actually tried to assassinate someone important, so they came under the category of assassins. Um, so, for example, the famous he uh, the most famous assassin in Chinese history, who tried to kill the guy who would go on to become the first emperor, right? The, the guy who was Qin Qing um, at this time called uh, so the, the king of Qin uh named Zheng and he was trying to reunify China and he was on the on the cusp of success and this guy Jinghe goes and tries to kill him and he fails but the way in which he does that you know the sort of you know I I made a promise to a guy I would do this so I'm gonna go do it it's like yeah I know it's a suicide mission but I've you know I I I put my uh, you know I put my money where my mouth is and he fails he gets killed um, but it's like, had he succeeded, the entire course of Chinese history and world history would have been different because of this one guy.
0: Wait, so this assassin no. would would also be considered Xia because he was motivated by like a deeper purpose.
2: Yeah. So right. So he would come under the he would come under the meaning he would come within the meaning of Sha. I think. Uh, because he, well, he, he does resort to violence uh, and he, he does, you know, he lives, he begins with an unconventional life when, and he sort of first appears in a history book, he's like a street musician and uh, a prince uh, from one of the rival kingdoms is told like this guy, he's like, he has a very particular set of skills. Uh, and, <laughs> and uh, so if you need somebody to kill somebody, this is who you should talk to. And so the prince goes to him, treats him as an honored guest uh, and, uh, and brings them into his service. And, and then, yeah, it's like signs you up to a cause, sign him up to a cause. And then he dedicates his life to it because he's, because that's okay. his code. Right. So, okay. so, right. So these characters, yeah. In, in Sima Qian's book, they come under the biographies of the assassins, but they absolutely fit the bill for the Xia. And, um, another thing in here is that the Xia transcends class, and actually, let me take a step back here and 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 point out something. We we're talking about linguistics earlier. We we're talking about the meaning of the xia. So, mm-hmm. in in translations, people had this people had real trouble translating xia into English because there's no equivalent Western concept. So, mm. in earlier translations of Jin books, for example, sha is often translated as night. Right. Right. So the comparison is mm-hmm. then to the chivalric romances, to right to to. Books like La Chanson de Roland, you know Orlando Furioso, the the, the Sir Galwang and the Green Knight, these you know medieval romances with the knights as heroes, and of course there are some similarities, but ultimately it's quite different because knights are a social class; they are a so, mm-hmm. they are a social rank; they are a sort of minor aristocracy, right, and and they conduct themselves as such, and but in the in the chinese tradition a very important a very important part of the xia concept is that it transcends class mm. so so a person can be a street musician like tinku or a person can be a prince they can both be xia and mm. within that realm they they would treat each other as equals so yes. this is this is important and in that period of history the sort of 3rd century bc the warring states era this was an important part of the story because so another section in the, in the, in the, the Shizid historical records, um, uh, this is what happens. The, the another, uh, Lord, uh, Lord Singling, who is the younger brother of a King, he sort of throws his doors open to all in sundry to come to eat and you know, live at his house. If you are, if you consider yourself men of a very particular set of skills, um, but there's no there's no like entrance exam for this, right? So it's like people just came, and a lot of these guys were useless, and a lot of these guys were sort of soldiers, maybe, or you know, sort of to use uh, the wrong phrase from the wrong culture and the wrong time, sort of Ronin samurais, right? You could you could have that, um, but a lot of these guys were sort of cl- uh, criminals, basically, were mm. you know, small time criminals or not so small time or fugitives from the law from another part of China or whatever. Mm. But it didn't matter because at some point, the, the idea was that, that the princes and the lords opened their doors this way because they might turn out to be useful. You just don't know. Mm. So in the case of uh, Lord Xingling in, in, the, in the famous story, um, he some years later, he had to... Uh, t- uh, basically, he had to try to uh, get his brother to give him the army so that his brother, the king, who actually had command of the army, didn't want to intervene in this war. But the younger brother was like, no, we have to do it, otherwise we're screwed. Um, so so uh, and when he didn't know what to do, this guy he had welcomed into his ranks years earlier, whose job was a doorman um, or, or not a doorman, like a, like, a, like a guy who was in charge of opening the city gates. So like a, but a very low ranking official kind of guy he tells him how to do it. He basically comes up with the strategy for, you know, how you can get your brother to give you command of the army. So he goes and does that. And then very famously also the doorman had introduced the prince to a butcher from the bazaar and uh, the prince had treated both of them with great courtesy, you know, as though they were equals. And the butcher is actually a great fighter so the butcher comes with him to the war and is like, you know, is is sort of the great warrior in, in the war. And so, so a lot of this this culture of the Xia consists in this idea that, well, you can you can come from all walks of life. You know, we don't know, mm. we don't know who who is a great swordsman. You know, you, you could be the butcher in the bazaar, you could be the street musician. Yeah, um, that, that's a very important part of the concept, and that's why it's not they're not knights.
1: Oh. Yeah. So what would what would okay. be your okay. translation?
2: William I I, I don't think it's I don't think it's translatable I think I just it's it's, really hard Xia is a Xia I mean like I there's just no equivalent concept in in, in Western
1: so I think when they translate when others translate Chinese titles with Xia in them I think warrior is often used heroes is often used um so I think it's kind of it ends up being one of the two I think are there others that you've seen
2: I think it's very hard because there are specifics to the culture. Um, you know, like I said, this idea that you can, you know, you can come from anywhere, this idea of um, the Sha is not supposed to um, gloat. You know, if you, if you save the world, you're not supposed to tell people about it. You're supposed to walk away. Yeah. Um, you know, it's part of the, part of the virtue. And also, even though, you know, we're talking about wuxia, so Sha so who, who know how to fight, the culture of it, You you don't, in some respect, you don't need to know how to fight to be a sha. Obviously, yes. if you literally right, um, obviously if you literally don't know how to fight, you know, you get into a fight. The fight is going to end very quickly with you being dead. Um, yeah. But the culture of it can be embodied by people who don't know how to fight. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, in the in the philosophical tradition, there's the, the philosopher Mozi, who uh, who was who also lived in this time period, and he was a pacifist. He didn't fight anybody. But um, there was a there was a famous story where he there was one kingdom was going to attack another one, and he uh, he because he's just because of his philosophy of pacifism he was like I don't want this war to happen so he goes to the aggressor kingdom, and convinces them that he had already gone to the other kingdom and given them these new defensive weapons that's going to make the 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 attack impossible to to succeed, and they believe him. And so he stops the war, and hmm. he does this purely out of his sense of his sense of pacifism, and we would that that would fit within sort of the xia culture of you know helping somebody just because just because you think it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So 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 you know I think Grace contacted me in, in, about this uh, podcast in part because of Confucianism. I think you guys were talking about Confucianism.
1: Yeah, so as Grace mentioned, she reached out to you after we recorded, uh, so we've done a a recent podcast on Confucianism in Asian drama, um, and part of your response was about how Confucian ethics relate to the Shah concept, uh, which I think we both thought was a really interesting point. So do you want to just illuminate a little bit more about that?
2: Sure. You know, I I don't know what you said about Confucianism in K-dramas, and I'm not sure... (laughs) I'm not <laughs> sure what what, um, what you meant by it. Well, I, I can guess. I guess the uh, patriarchal society and yeah, and the and patriarchy, filial, filial piety, yeah, yeah the filial, and, filial piety, uh-huh. exactly. They're in your place,
1: but the yada, sense yada, of yada, juicy, yada. that kind of uh-huh. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So I would argue that that uh, representation or manifestation of Confucianism is incomplete at best it's um and it's because uh, it, it's to some extent misleading but it's certainly incomplete and it's because we live in the time we live in uh and we're we're living post neo-confucianism which was a was a movement that came out in the Song Dynasty in sort of the 12th century 11th century 12th century that modified what Confucianism Confucianism meant um and also because I think a lot of I think I think societies can be traditional and Victorian, right? Without, I mean, Victorian England was obviously Victorian without Confucianism to tell them to be sort of prudish and strict about right. a lot of stuff, <laughs> right? So, um, but within within Confucianism itself, the, the tradition is much more complex. So, um, the uh, so Mencius or Mengzi in Chinese is considered the the second sage. Of Confucianism, so within Confucian within the pantheon of Confucian thinkers, thinkers, he's number two, right? Confucius is number one, Mencius is number two, and Mencius said a lot of stuff that was, if you actually go and read it, it's like, wait a minute, wait, he said what? Um, So, so yeah, one of the so one of the important things he said, I mean, the guy argued for essentially a form of democracy, if you if you can believe it, um, at the time, and and. He argued that, like, if if kings don't do their jobs, if king don't, if kings don't serve their people, if kings aren't don't function as public servants, then we have to get rid of them implicitly yeah. by violence, yeah. <laughs> if necessary, yeah, through revolution, if necessary. Um, which you know goes to the the uh, part of usha, right? You know, the deployment of violence to achieve a greater end is no, well, maybe it's okay. Um, and he uh, he famously spelled out what he considered sort of the the morally perfect person is someone who has a famous formula. Where he said, um, uh, uh, wealth, cannot, uh, wealth cannot corrupt them. Poverty cannot move them. And violence cannot make them bend knee. And that, in his mind, is sort of the perfect person and that's very much sort of like a xia ethos and he also argued that you know it's not about uh, conventional morality it's about what you believe in your own heart so he very famously said you know if you if you have if you have thought about it carefully if after careful introspection you believe you are right then even if 10000 voices are against you you must still go your own way, even if the whole world is against you, right? So, yeah. so that's so I think that's that. That is very much this sort of xia culture. Um, you know, like I said, the way Sima Qian described these people—people people who don't abide by conventional morality necessarily, certainly don't necessarily follow the law. Some of them are criminals, but they have a code, yeah, and they abide by their code with with you know with great conviction. Yeah. and they're willing to willing to live up to the cost. So yeah and
1: i yeah. and i think that i think this ethos is definitely a form that's familiar to c drama watchers i think i think pretty much everyone will have a hero or a male lead that kind of embodies this this concept i think
2: definitely yeah. right and um well i mean more conventionally there is confucianism as public service right the idea that that mm-hmm. one should dedicate oneself to public service so in the in the Jinung books you have Within the Condor Trilogy, the first in the first book, uh, the main character, Guo Jing, in the end, he picks up that mantra, you know, xia zhi da zhe, wei guo wei min. the greatest manifestation of the Xia is to be of service to one's country and one's people. He sort of adopts that. As a, but that's that's a sort of relatively conventional morality. And then in the second book, you have you have a new hero, Yang Guo, who is kind of the I don't care if the whole world is against me. I will go my own way, right? The whole the conventional mm-hmm. morality says I'm wrong, but I know in my heart of hearts I am right. Mm-hmm. So I don't care that you stand in my way. I will I will do what I believe is right. Right? Yeah. So this so that so the, these 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 uh ethical debates are already contained in in those books.
0: Cool. Uh so you, you also mentioned um that Xia played a role in ancient Chinese history. You mentioned um earlier Shima... Shima...
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, sh- I should. Yeah. Well, I should. I should acknowledge that there were also also critiques of the South. There were crit- critics, criticisms of the South from the beginning. So hmm. the philosopher Han Feizi from the same um, same period of time, third century B.C., Um. He belonged to the what's called the legalist school. Now, the legalist school are the real authoritarians. They they believed in, you know, they, they argued for like a Plato's Republic kind of thing where we would ban the, you remember Plato in the Republic was like, no, we're going to ban music, except military music. Um, people tend to forget that about Plato. But um, <laughs> so legalism was like, yeah, we for a well-ordered society to exist, we have to stop all the dissent, dissenting voices. And he famously said, the literati break the law through their writings, and the Xia destroy public order Public order with all this fighting. So mm. we need to ban both these types of people. We have to stop the intellectuals from writing the essays, and we have to stop the Xia from fighting. Um, Interesting. So so, right, so, our,
0: so uh, actually, the, the Confucianism you're uh, describing is a much more like, in, in the modern sense, liberal, progressive, um, than right. it's much more progressive than the kind of that um, legalist school of thought back then.
2: Well, history of Chinese thought 101. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's not. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole thing, right? It's very complicated, <laughs> but right, exactly. But so Confucianism, as it was ori- originally expounded by Confucius and his disciples and sort the, the Mencius generation. Right, that, that version of Confucianism is kind of what I'm describing. But then right. during the so. Han Dynasty, the Han Dynasty eventually adopted Confucianism as the state religion almost. Ah. But then in adopting it into an imperial ideology, they changed it because right. it, the ideology had to be made to serve the state. So it became. Yeah, you can't more have a...
0: people violent, violently overthrowing the king every time the king's not a good king.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. So even though those texts were still part of the culture, Mencius had been become so ingrained in the culture, you couldn't get rid of him. Actually, a, a, an emperor later tried to get rid of Mencius. The, uh, the founding emperor of the Ming dynasty, Zhu Yanzhang, in the late 14th century, he tried to ban the text Mencius. After it's mm-hmm. been sort of considered a sacred text for like 1,600 years. And because, because of these words, like, no, if the, if, the, if, the, if the monarch doesn't serve the people, then we kill him. Because of, because yeah. of sentiments like this, he's like, no, what, what are you talking about? And he tried <laughs> to ban the guy. Yeah. And then his entire court, all the mandarins in his court, lined up and said, if you're going to ban ministers, you got to go through us. You, you have to kill me first, the whole court. And the emperor is like, okay, you know what? Forget it. You know, <laughs> but so
0: never mind. Never. Never mind. mind never
2: mind. But it's like, <laughs> right? The the intellectual force of you know this philosopher from twenty three hundred years ago is like, yeah, even the emperor couldn't couldn't get rid of him. You know, you think the emperor is this totalitarian despot? It's like, well, you know, even you know the 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 the, the dead man and his and his arguments. You still you still can't fight that. Um, yeah. But like I said, it got a little bit, it got more, made more authoritarian during the Han dynasty. And then during the Song dynasty, 11th century, 12th century, there was neo-Confucianism led by this guy Zhu Xi, which again made it into a much more uh, conformist uh, um, ideology, uh, much more sexist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of the sexism comes from that time, actually. (laughs) <laughs> um she came out with this you're gonna love this. Uh Ducy came out with this formula called Si De." I don't know if you heard of it, the three obediences and the four virtues. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about how a woman should behave. Yeah. The three obediences, what are those, you ask? Well <laughs> a woman is supposed to obey his her father before she is married, obey her husband once she's married, and obey her son once the husband dies. Yeah. yeah. So it's yep. just like yeah yeah and and I mean even I think even in the Song dynasty there were people who were like what if my kid is still a toddler um <laughs> <laughs> And there's just something absurd about it that, you know even back then right. people were like no I don't know about yeah. this um yeah. <laughs>
0: And actually, but, the yeah. the Confucianism in Korea it was was largely this the Neo Confucianism. <laughs> and so I was just talking yeah. last week to uh, another Korean American, um, and and she's of uh, a little bit older generation than me. And she 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 quoted that to me: the three obediences. She said, "Oh, did your parents ever tell you this?" <laughs> and I was like, uh, oh, no." My <laughs> oh my lord! Oh so my lord! Not even still out there.
2: Yeah, yeah. You actually have this debate within Jing Yong as well, because mm-hmm. in the because in the in the um, in the Condor Heroes trilogy. So you know in the so that you know the first book, the hero from the first book Guo Jing. You know he becomes a more sort of uh, someone who would uh, more adopts the conventional morality type of guy. At least by the second book, right? By the second book, he's still around, but he's like the the senior figure now. And the younger hero Yang Guo, like I said, he goes against the world, right? So. So, you know, he wants to marry his teacher. He falls in love with his own teacher mm-hmm. and wants to marry her. And under the Song dynasty morality, neo-confucianism, that's just not done. You just can't do that. What are you talking about? That's 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 like scandalous. That's 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 terrible. It's incestuous and almost. <laughs> it's almost it's almost incest. Yeah. And so watching so quoting the hero from the first book, you know, he's like, "No, you can't do that." He tells him he can't do that, and the whole world tells him he can't do that. And that's when he goes against the world he says no i i think you know if i'm if i'm if i if i'm truly in love with someone if it's true love it's not wrong and that's the okay. that's the romantic plot from from the second book but you see jing yong expresses these cultural this history and the culture and you know the debate between sort of neo-confucian strictures and people saying like really though seems a bit <laughs> much you no. <know>? Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and I think it throughout, I mean, it, I mean, I said, you know, this this was the, the Neo-Confucianism was the Confucianism of Korea, but like, there's all that debate there too, you know?
2: Right. Yeah. People say, but that's,
0: really? That doesn't yeah. sound really, though. quite yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. But,
2: that, <laughs> but that's history. been going on a long time, but I, I think it's a bit unfair to, um, you know, Confucianism as it was originally understood um, right. And so I, I was saying, you know, the legalist school was the authoritarian one that sort of emphasized state authority and essentially wanted a totalitarian government. So when the Han Dynasty adopted, um, you know, nominally adopted Confucianism as the state ideology, what they really did was they mixed in a lot of legalism, right? Mm-hmm. To, to say like, all, all these rules. Remember, you got to obey the authorities. You got to, you got to do this. You got to do that. A lot of that really came from legalism.
1: Mm. I can see that, right. So, so we've talked about the Shah going through the ancient records and these ancient uh, books. But when did they start showing up in fiction?
2: Right. So, um, well, first of all, I mean, why is history not a form of literature, right? You know, I would argue. Well, it is. I'd argue. (laughs) I would argue. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, so the Xia existed, right? So, um, so the Xia is understood as a category, and in by. Sort of Tang Dynasty literature. I know you're talking about uh, fiction specifically, but I just want to note here that Li Bai, the greatest poet in Chinese history, well, one of the yeah. greatest anyway, Li Bai from the Tang Dynasty from the 8th century, he, as a young man, he tried to be a Xia. He studied swordsmanship and he supposedly killed several people. And um, and he tried to be a Xia and, before he turned to literature. And he famously wrote a poem called The March of the Xia, Xia Kexing, which Jingyong then later took as a title, the title for one of his novels. Ah, I didn't know that about Li Bai. It's, mm.
1: all, it's all, it's all, it's all, there.
2: <laughs> and and actually, his his poem "Sakaseng" celebrates the, uh, the 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 butcher and the doorman from from that story I was telling you about the the battle ah. of Handan, yeah, where where um so where they were you know where they sort of saved the world and altered Chinese history, and they were considered you know members of this community, Xia. Anyway, so mm-hmm. Li Bai wrote about them in poetry, uh, that's 8th century. And then uh, later in Tang literature, so Tang Dynasty went from 618 to 907. So, so, you know, the height of the poetry was sort of 8th century in the middle part. And then by the, by the late part, by the ninth century, uh, the literature had, well, people were still writing poems, but a new form of fiction had emerged, which was short stories. What we would call short stories today, they call them legends. Transi, they call them legends, and a number of these legends are what we would call Usa stories. They, um, a lot of the, a lot of the tropes that today we consider conventional in wuxia. For example, why is it people can just like fly on to- fly on top of trees? You know, how does that just happen? You know, yeah. it's we call that qinggong, right? The 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 technique of likeness, right? Yes. That that started in Tang short fiction. Ah. Yeah. So when they first uh st- when the Tang fiction writers first started doing that, that was like nobody had done that before. It's like, wait, what? You know, it's basically yeah. it's almost like science fiction at the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they started doing that. Um and um the, and and they created and then they created this the sort of the, the type of world, the type of characters, the type of uh, stories that we would um that that we would consider wuxia and um, a very important part of that is contrary to the sexism of neo confucianism for example the world in the world of wuxia there is basically gender equality mm. Mm. right so a lot of the, a couple of the really important uh, wuxia stories from the time were female driven there is a famous mm. story uh, called um Ying uh, yin yang the the, the the hidden lady nie which was about a young girl who gets taken away essentially kidnapped by a buddhist nun and the nun then spends the next decade teaching her the most deadly kung fu <laughs> right and then she comes out comes down the mountain now like the world's deadliest assassin and she goes and and well kills people but goes and and interferes in uh sort of late tongue politics and you know goes and kills this mm. warlord or goes and fights that guy and um, so this is like an entirely female-driven story, yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, the, some of the tropes, like I said, already existed. Um, the sort of the the air of uh, religious figures being involved, like right? a lot of the, you see this in in you know modern uh, Wuxia fiction, right? The, the 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 orders, you know, the Shaoling Shaoling Temple is is a Buddhist temple. The Wudang you know, school is, is a Taoist school. You know, the the, mm. the the religious associations and how a lot of the a lot of the martial arts supposedly come out of religious or philosophical ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um and then uh there's the really famous story, uh with um, which means I translated as the man with the dragon beard, which is a really famous story where there is no fighting, there's no combat, but it shows uh, the type of characters that we later find populating the the world of wuxia, which we call Jianghu, right? The rivers and the lakes. That Jianghu is, is sort of a term for the world, the, the semi-fantastical world in which the the wuxia actors exist in. But um well, if we have time, well <laughs> if you if you indulge me, I'll just I just try to summarize this the story, the the, the man with the dragon beard. Um, So it's set in the beginning, in the uh, early 600s, the end of the Sui Dynasty, uh, last years of the Sui Dynasty, before the Tang Dynasty has been established. Now remember, the story is being written at the tail end of the Tang Dynasty, so 300 years after. And so basically there's a young man, enterprising young man, Li Jing, who's a real historical figure, but here he's fictionalized. He uh, basically goes to the... A cabinet minister's house, a a cabinet minister in the state government, he tries to get a job and the minister basically says, you're just a you're just a commoner. So get out of my house. Um, But before he leaves the house, he sees this beautiful young woman in the house who uh, is apparently a uh, dancer, a singer, an entertainer of some sort uh, working at this rich man's house. Now, that makes her socially of a very low rank. Okay. Mm. Uh, but he sees her, but, you know, doesn't get to talk to her and just has to leave. So he goes back to his hotel and and, and he's like moping. He's like, oh, no, I'll never get a job. Um, when there's a knock on his door in the middle of the night. He's like, who could that be? Goes and opens the door. It's the young woman from middle of the day. And she says, do you want to get married? He's like, wait, what? I just I mean, you're hot, but like I, what? We didn't even talk. <laughs> and, the, and the young woman says like, yeah, I'm like a dancer at the and at, uh, you know, Lord so and so's house. I can see and you can see, too, if you're a smart guy, that the Sui Dynasty is not long for this world. This government is about to collapse. And I don't want to be here when it collapses. You, I can tell that you are an enterprising young man with skills. I think you're going. You're going places in this world. So how about we get married and we partner up, and uh, and we go and and seek our fortune in this world. And he goes, I like you. Uh, Okay. So, (laughs) yeah. So they're engaged, and they. So then. So then. But then they're a little bit worried that like people from the 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 cabinet ministers' house are going to chase after them because you know, she's basically running away from a sort of indentured servitude of sorts, right? So they leave, mm-hmm. and they leave the capital. They're traveling, and a few days later, they're staying in a different hotel. And this new guest shows up with a huge, with this beard on his face, like a dragon crawled onto his chin. So the man with the dragon beard. Okay. <laughs> ah. He walks in, and he is clearly a Xia. And he's carrying in his hand his enemy's severed head. Wrapped in a piece of cloth. He just walks in the hotel carrying a severed head and and just puts it on the table. Okay. And this guy, man with the dragon beard, sees um the woman and is like, she's hot, immediately starts hitting on her, even though <laughs> even though her fiance is like, you know, right there, right? Um, and so they almost get into a fight. But she she says, like, she's like, No, 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 I can tell you are also an, an uncommon man. Let's all be friends. What are you what are you what are you up to what are you doing and this man with the dragon beard says well as anyone with eyes can see the three dynasty is about to fall I believe I can be the next emperor okay I believe it is it is I, I believe I have the very particular set of skills to become emperor <laughs> and I think it may be within my destiny and um, he's also skilled in uh, sort of fortune telling okay you can tell mm. by looking at somebody's face like what they're and he's like the only thing I'm I'm not sure about is I think there is a possibility. Given in in my all my all my fortune telling and my all my astrology, there is a possibility that someone else exists, someone else lives in China right now who has a destiny superior to my own. So I'm about to go see this guy to see if this is true. So do you want to come? They're like, yeah, okay. So the three of them go to the city of Taiwan. They, uh, they they meet the young man in question, whose name is Li Shimin. Now, at this point, anyone who is anyone who's familiar with Chinese history knows what I'm talking about. He's the future Emperor Taizong of the Tang Dynasty, one of the greatest emperors in Chinese history. And so the man with the dragon beard takes one look at the young man and he's like, "Yep, yeah, yeah, he's going to be emperor, not me. Yeah, this man is the once and future king. I'm not. So. He says to his two new friends, he says, I'm going to leave and seek my fortune elsewhere. But you, you two should stay and work for him. And then in time, you're going, to, you're going to be great people. In 15 years time, look for my news. Okay. Story fast forwards to 15 years later. It's now the reign of Emperor Taizong of the Tang Dynasty. Li Jing is now a cabinet minister. And one day he shows up at work and uh, comes to the office, and people, are, and his his underlings, are like, sir, sir, there's this is intelligence report from from the borderlands, from the southeast. This uh, group of Chinese uh, adventurers went into the kingdom and killed the king and made themselves the new rulers. And they say they're led by this man with a remarkable beard on his face. And 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 the king says, that's that's the news that my friend said I should look out for. Yeah, and that's the end of the story. So, not a single fight scene, not a single fight scene, but the characters in it behave with sort of such decisiveness, right? They behave with this 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 air of you know I know exactly what I'm doing, um, where you know sort of everything is heightened in a way that becomes conventional in Usar stories, even though, of course, in real life people don't behave that way. Or this is sort of the outer limits. These are the mm-hmm. outer limits of how decisive people can be in real life, right? Mm-hmm. You take one look at a guy and be like, oh yeah, yeah, no, he's going to be emperor. I'm not going to be, right? You take one look at a guy and be like, do you want to get married? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but also, I know, like I was saying about, so the the story of the lady with the, the hidden lady, near, right? You have a female driven story. Here you have three main characters. Two Two are men. But actually the story is being driven by the female protagonist, right? She's the one who says to him, let's get married, right? She's the one who stops them from fighting each other. And so, so, you know, she's the one who's like, she is also behaving like, I know my destiny, I'm going to seek it, right? I know my destiny is not to be a dancing girl. I know, like, you know, one day I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to have a great life and I'm going to make it happen, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. you see what I said about going down rabbit holes. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: no, no, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's
2: interesting. <laughs> so, okay.
1: <clears throat> so then, then we've got this basis in the Tang Dynasty. So then, do we continue to have stories about the Sha being written from then until you know modern times, or how do we get from there to the Wu stories that we know now?
2: Yeah, there. Are, so there, they continue to be uh, stories within this this type of stories, but um, the kind of modern we don't we don't get a straight line. From from there to here, we go through, for example, the um, the Outlaws of the Marsh, the Ming Dynasty novel, the Hu Zhuan, Outlaws yes. of the Marsh, the the Water Margin. There was a version called All Men Are Brothers. The translations will differ, um, but basically, what you have there is a um, well. It's 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 a crime story. You have a a, a bunch of a bunch of uh, uh 108 criminals, basically. And and they are they all know how to fight, um, but um, and then they they sort of run off and, and form their uh, their gang of of robbers, basically bandits. Um, but they this comes within the usha uh, realm because they are sort of they they all sort of get forced into most of them get forced into a criminal life, and mm-hmm. so it's kind of it's kind of usha as social protest. Because it's a reflection mm. on how unjust the conventional society is.
0: Mm. And this is Jean Valjean. Jean, the...
2: Jean <laughs> Valjean, they're like, they're like Jean yeah. Valjean, right. Um, and except these guys, you know, take, you know, take justice into their own hands, deploy violence, and and mm. and they, you know, they fight back. So they kill the cops, they kill the corrupt cops, they kill the corrupt judges and the corrupt magistrates and things like that. So they mm-hmm. become criminals. But they abide by their code of conduct right yeah. which is right which makes them within the, the realm of usha and and um the famous uh 17th century literary critic jing Shengtan, tan who in many ways taught us all how to read um taught us how to read the the chinese classical uh novels he uh commented in his commentaries on on Hu Zhuan on the the of the marsh that you see you see what they're doing they are embodying the the the, the Ethical ideal from Mencius, right? Wealth cannot corrupt them. Poverty cannot move them. Violence cannot make them bend the knee. This is Mm -hmm. this is what they're doing, Um, but. As, as many readers of uh, Outlaws the Marsh also point out, though, they really kill a lot of a lot of people, <laughs> you know, they, they slaughter entire, you know, there's a corrupt official who, you know, threw them into prison. So they break out and then kill the judge's whole family or something like that. It's like, well, did you really have to kill the kids? You know, they, so, so that's <laughs> so that's always a sticking point. But this is this is an element of, you know, xia, as is social protest, right? The the idea that this class of people exists the idea that this class of people needs to exist means that conventional society is a, is a, is a, is an unjust world yes mm. right and um and this reminds me uh you know i was saying earlier about like, you're you asking me how would you translate sha into english and in it's you know i don't know but there's the reverse there's the reverse issue which is that you know a lot of modern superheroes when the names are translated into chinese they are translated mm. as something sha <laughs> so 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 batman is Fu xia literally bat xia uh oh, the flash yeah. is shan xia lightning xia spider-man <laughs> uh depending on where you are in taiwan he's just spider-man but in china he's xia, spider xia because in in some respects the, the the modern superhero the comic book superhero um kind of kind of does the same right there are they are, yeah. they are oh. sort of the vigilante justice right yes right. Their, own, the f- their own
1: moral code against right. the world and they're, yeah. yeah
2: and they're doing street justice some of the guys like batman and super uh, and spider-man they're sort of doing street level you know they're fighting mm-hmm. crime you know but the idea that you would need batman is 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 a reflection on gotham being a corrupt society right if yeah. there was no crime in gotham you wouldn't need batman yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's it's so it's it's a similar it's a similar thought, and that's what Allah of the marshes um is social protest. Um but then then you have the opposite of that in the 19th century. Um there's a major novel called um San Wu Yi," also called Wu Yi." So either the three Xia and the Five Righteous Men or the Seven Xia and the Five Righteous Men, it's it's it gets there were two different editions okay. and they changed the title in between. Some, there was somebody, an editor was like, wait a minute, I can, I, can, I count more Xia in the story than, than the three stories. So we end up with two versions. It's the same book though. And interestingly here, we have the exact opposite where the characters who are being designated as Xia are actually cops. Bye. They're actually, they're actually working for the government. Uh, they're working for this uh, famous judge. It's set in the Song Dynasty again, and they're working, working for this uh, famous judge who sort of almost, so always uh, called the guy right, All, always solved the crime. This sort of Sherlock Holmesian type, and yeah. and the, and these and these uh, Xia are kind of his muscles, you know. Where yeah. like, you yeah. know When he needs to go break break up, that when he get, needs to go and get Professor Moriarty, he sends the Xia out to get him. Um, <laughs> so this is like this is like a mid nineteenth century book where you have almost the inverse of the allahs of the marsh. Yes. Um, then, then we have uh, modern, which now really began in the early 20th century, um, yeah. mm-hmm. in the Republican era. So so post-Empire, um, before the, the, the Chinese communists came in is when you have the origins of a lot of these ideas. Mm-hmm. So you have uh the i think it was 1923 book Jianghu uh zhuan uh, the, the, the amazing stories of the amazing xia of the Jianghu. and um they you know it, that established uh, a, a lot of the a lot of the modern ideas um, you have crouching tiger hidden dragon that's mm. the unleashed movie that's based on that's based on a novel from the 40s uh, from the early 40s carson tiger hidden dragon um where the innovation there is to is to uh, write wuxia as love stories mm. yeah and that tingyong takes that idea and then takes it to its to its logical extreme right yes. and um uh, so so yeah so i think i think the 1923 novel had the had the um the the concept of jianghu Sort of, you know, you have these people existing in almost like a parallel world, right? They're existing in China as we know it, but this world of the Jianghu where no one cares what the police says, <laughs> where no one cares what the law says. No one cares, you know, you, you 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 kill somebody, you kill somebody. Like no one, no one's worried about the cops coming. Um, where, you know, within the world of Jianghu, you 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 abide by the code, right? This is this is this is kind of a convention coming, coming from from that time and oh. um, and actually yeah and actually a, l- a lot of the uh adaptations to to you know nowadays we we adapt everything to to cinema or to tv right they were already doing mm-hmm. that so they adapted the t- 1923 novel into a series of films in 1928 that that were incredibly popular in china wow I think they, they, in I think 1928 they made like 1928 early cinema wow. yeah black wow. and white yeah uh they the the, the films ran to 18 18 films so you know you think mcu is you know 20 something (laughs) movies right whatever it is you know like they've made they made 18 movies just from this one book and then i believe the government shut them down the government's like no more no more of these movies because because kids were like running out of school were we're playing true and from school to you know they want to go and go up to shaolin temple and become (laughs) (laughs) a shaolin monk fighting monks yeah yeah yeah. um (laughs) So uh, so then, yeah, so you had a lot of these these ideas from that time uh, sort of forming the embryonic form of, of wuxia. And then you have 1950s Hong Kong. So, of course, 1949, the Communist Revolution happened, which meant that A, wuxia was banned within mainland China, and B, a whole lot of people uh, basically ran from the mainland to Hong Kong. hmm there's a wave of migrants and within this wave of migrants, there were people like the future, uh, sci-fi novelist, Ni Kuang and Jin Yong. Right. People who moved to Hong Kong from the mainland. And then it's a funny story because in, uh, 1954 there was, there were these two, um, real life Kung Fu masters, allegedly, uh, no, they were, they they were, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they really were, it's just like, you know, how you know, things never look as good, you know, on in the movies, things never look as quite as good in real life as in the movies. And it's never right. quite as good as you imagine. Yeah. So these two guys who were real life Kung Fu masters somehow got into a bit of a, of a war of words. So they were like attacking each other in the newspapers. And then eventually they were like, wait a minute, we're both like fighting men. Let's organize, organize a fight. So they did. They planned a fight, like a USC, UFC kind of thing <laughs> in Macau. <laughs> um, and this has been going on in the press, because like I said, they were publishing against each other in the press. And so the, the, all of Hong Kong was like reading about all this stuff. Um, and and everybody's like, oh, no, let's see some real Kung Fu. And then, but then the fight happened and it was nothing. It was really anticlimactic. It was like, <laughs> they, they lasted two rounds, like one minute. And neither guy really hit the other. So, you know, so it was a whole lot of a whole lot of throwing your fist in the air. And and then it was over. And then, and then, so, so, so people are like, you know, really, really dissatisfied. And at this point, there was a newspaper editor who had, who had the insight that, oh, well, I guess, I guess people really get fascinated by all this kung fu stuff. So, okay, well, real life fighting isn't that actually that exciting. But we can write fiction, right? So he went around and asked a number of young writers to—he uh, basically commissioned them to write usha fiction mm. in the newspapers in serialized yeah. form, right? Yeah. And right. So this is this is the birth of of um, the uh, modern usha and and sort of the the mm. golden age. And so, yeah, it's like so, Dickens. No, it, they, right. So the composition process of, of all these books, of all of Jingyong's books, was Dickensian. It's it's right. You write one installment in the papers, and yeah. then you write the next installment, and you write the next installment. So right. Every there are comic strips for in, in sort of American papers, right? People yeah. used to buy newspapers for the comic strips. You read Doonesbury. So it's it's a similar thing in Hong Kong, where people would buy the papers just to read today's installment of the Jingyong. Of oh, the latest, yeah. Late, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Ching Yong was one of the the young writers that they asked to to do this. Uh, Ni Kuang, like I said, he eventually became a sci fi writer. was was also one of them, but he initially wrote some wuxia. Um, there's This is guy Liang Yusheng, who was very prolific, who was also who was also one of these one of these young writers. But um, you know, he's just not as good as he's just not as good as Jin Yong. I'm sorry to say, I wrote <laughs> lots of books, but you know, it's not as good. Um, and indeed, once Ching Yong started publishing, it's just like everyone is like, oh yeah. Is this this guy is like is very clearly, clearly the you know the best writer of the lot. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um and there because he wrote, in you know, wuxia genre, you know, people often an- analogized him to, you know, he's like the greatest fighter in the in the Jianghu, right? You know, the 武功天下地, the man whose kung fu is just obviously best in the world. Yeah. Um yeah. And, and so yeah, and so now we finally get to, you know hero for 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 both you and me i think uh <laughs> the you know the great the great Jingyong or uh, uh or jah liang Yong was his real name jing Yong was his pen name or lewis oh, Cha. char yeah. yeah sometimes he went in english yeah his english name is lewis was lewis um um and um yeah and he so so he would publish these in the papers serialized um, you know just a short installment every day and he would like write it in the middle of the night and just you know hand it to the printers <clears> Amazing. and then and then afterwards they get they get collected all into into one book and then you know maybe get some editing and a little bit of rewriting and polishing and they get published um yeah. and um and that's that that was the composition process for all of his books all 15 of them 15 wow. people forget the people forget the small ones people forget the, the short ones that were that you know, didn't go very long, but uh, they, they, they existed too, you know, the novellas, um, yeah. but, you know, people remember the grand, the grand, uh, the grand novels. Right. But, um, yeah.
0: So, um, actually I, I, so I looked him up. <laughs> I I didn't grow up with any of these stories, so I looked him up, um, and and like you know, there are Reddit threads where people like compare him to you know George R. R. Martin because of the number of meaningful side characters they both write. You know, they they don't write throwaway um, characters; they're all fleshed out and developed, and and readers come to care for them and and stuff like that. Um, And also, I you know, I read that. That his books and adaptations um, have been so popular throughout the Chinese reading world that they're almost, you know, um, like Sarah was saying earlier, like a cultural lingua franca across, you know, Absolutely. the People's Republic, yeah. Taiwan, and like all diaspora communities of Chinese people across the world. So, um can you explain a little bit more like who he was and um what his influence <laughs> has been? Oh, what's that? <laughs> what did you just hold up?
2: Absolutely. I have here an old um this I think this version is out of print now, but I have this. Uh I have here um volume one of the return of the condor heroes, Shandyar Salu. And in this, I always remembered in this in this uh version, they have on the back, it says here, um uh <laughs> the lingua franca of the entire uh, Chinese-speaking world. Are you <laughs> and then it goes on, it goes on. From Taipei to New York, from Hong Kong to London, from Tokyo to Shanghai. The Chinese in different places may speak different dialects. They may eat, they may eat different types of cuisine. They may have different politics, but they all read the works of Jingo. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and, and, and that is true. Yeah, it's yeah on the back I don't and think it's, that's
1: it's, hypo- I don't think that's hyperbolic. I think that's true.
2: It's not. It's absolutely not hyperbolic. Jin Yong yeah. is is one of the best-selling authors of all time of any language, and also the official sales numbers for his books are very clearly an undercount because he was banned. His books were banned in mainland China because right. the the communist government had banned martial books completely. His books were initially banned in Taiwan because as a young man he was a communist sympathizer and oh. Taiwan was really anti-communist right under the Chiang Kai-shek government you know they were like oh anything written by a pro-communist is like, or fellow traveler's I uh, can't have it um but so you know my uncle in the bathroom he was reading like a pirated copy <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, a lot of a lot of his most avid readers grew up reading pirated copies. So those copies uh-huh. never counted towards his total. Mm, so yeah, if you yeah. factor those in, you know, you're you're talking about, you know, I, I, nobody knows really because yeah. it's impossible mm-hmm. how many pirated copies were sold. But I think even if you count only the legitimate copies, I think he's something like the third most, you know, best-selling author of all time or something like that of all time. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, if you count I, up the yeah. pirated copies, I don't know, you know.
1: Because I actually I don't think I don't think there's a decent comp for him in Western literature, in terms of the the influence that he has, uh, both in the wuxia genre, but even just like I mean I remember I growing up with phrases that and concepts that he's used in the book that become kind of like metaphors or ways that we talk about things you know so yes, like my mum, mm-hmm. like my mum, like Jin Yong is her favorite her favorite author so my mum has always been you know like he's he's amazing um for creating these books and and just so smart but i remember and i don't actually know where this comes from it's 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 classic that i haven't read the book or i've only probably seen the tv series <laughs> but there's this one phrase my mum uses all the time mainly about my dad which I only know in Chinese, so in Cantonese, yeah. uh, William. So you might have to try to like I'll try, try to like yeah work it out. It, it, yeah. But it's uh, but you'll know from what I say. So he it's Yet Yangzi. So there is a a character in one of the Jin Yong books. This is gonna be like quiz for William, uh-huh. and um his power sometimes works and sometimes doesn't, and his power is really amazing. So when it works, it's like wow he's you know but f- because I think he got he got like ill or or maimed or something his power he's he he can't control when his power works or his power doesn't and so my mother used to always like um I can ask her if, if it if it puzzles you but she would always say that my dad's like navigation skills were, yeah, Yonzi. So sometimes they were amazing and he could just guide us exactly where we needed to be. But other times he'd like couldn't read a map to save his life. And you never knew which version of of dad was gonna get in the car and navigate us to somewhere, you know? And I'm I just afraid remember I, like
2: Yeah. No, I'm afraid I can't quite pick that out. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't work out the Cantonese. And there's there's a number of characters who at least it, you know, for parts of their parts of their stories, they're you know powers don't quite work because it they don't really work, understand yeah. it or I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up in, in you know, Chinese
1: and then we can edit back in
2: okay <laughs> um but on your point about on, uh, on your point about you know um, having fleshed out having tons and tons of fleshed out characters so this is actually not a Jingyong innovation this is mm. this is uh, this is so Jingyong was a traditional uh, sort of Chinese intellectual in a sense. Right, he was mm-hmm. raised on all the all the great books, all the classical poetry and literature and philosophy, and so, so he was self consciously an heir to uh, classical fiction, classical Chinese fiction, such as mm-hmm. Outlaws of the Marsh, where, mm-hmm. like I said, they had one hundred and eight criminals, <laughs> in, in you know in the gang, and each one of them right. is a fully fleshed out character. Mm, it's a, each one of them is a protagonist and then you had and then besides them you have to have you know side characters antagonists um similarly the romance of the three kingdoms which is a which is a historical novel and you know not 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 a wuxia novel but it, again the number of characters that walk on and walk off it's it, it, it's it boggles the mind <sighs> and <clears throat> so so um it's absolutely within Chinese literary tradition to do that. We are sort mm-hmm. of amazed by in Western literature you're sort of amazed by people like Tolkien or George R. R. martin doing it um but like in in chinese uh in Chinese literature it's not it's not strange. sorry um sorry, I just you know okay got it
1: is that enough
2: yeah yang I was thinking about I was thinking about well Yi oh, yang. <laughs> you're saying Iangju which is not a which is not a character's name
1: no no it's not a character's yeah. name it's it's the thing that
2: Yi, Yi Yangzhi. yeah, yeah the, the, his, the thing his, the finger his ability, of the thing the one the, thing, Yang.
1: the, one, the, the one powerful <laughs> finger which he sometimes has but sometimes doesn't so that
2: was the No, Yi Yangzhi always works Yi Yangzhi always works she is referring to uh the character Duan yu who is the hero or one of the heroes of Tianlong Babu the the demigods and the, the, the semi devils. Duan Yu is a So Duan okay. So the 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 story is uh the story and this is this is how you know Jing Yong takes from that uh the 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 legend of the man with the dragon beard right where you're mixing historical figures with yes. with fictional figures. So Li yeah. Jing was a real life Major, you know, minister in the Tang Dynasty, and then you're yep. mixing him with fictional characters. So right. in the Tianlong Babu, in in semi gods, the demigods and semi devils, the Duan family of Dali were a real family. Dali right. was a was a small kingdom in today's Yunnan, today's province of Yunnan in southwestern China. But at the time, it was an independent kingdom, and the, the royal family was the Duan family. So they were real people. Yeah, um, but in, in Jin Yong, they are fictionalized. As this martial arts family with this secret technique that only people from their family can learn, and it's called the Yang like a pressure point technique. And Duan Yu is this guy, he's like a prince from the Duan family, that you know, future heir to the throne, but he refuses to learn Kung Fu, even though he comes from this Kung Fu family. And then through various circumstances, he's forced to learn it without even trying. Not only that. But he's forced to learn the secret technique, uh, Liu Mai shenjian, the 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 God, the the, the, the the magical swords of the six meridians, the Liu Mai shenjian, which is not even you don't use, use real swords, you've like you use your qi as swords. And yeah. it's like this technique that's so advanced <laughs> that no one has been able to learn it in hundreds of years. Yeah. And he somehow learns it. But because he never set out to study Kung Fu. Yeah. He, he learns this but like it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't uh, because he doesn't fully understand his own powers right he's God like you. superman still learning to fly um <laughs> right but that's 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 what she's referring to yeah i, I was thinking uh, during Yu, but because you said three syllables i was like well if it's three syllable name then it's not Duan Yu.
1: oh all um, right sorry it's probably i explained no, no. it badly
2: it's okay but, it's okay yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um so 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 what i was gonna what i was gonna say yeah so right, there are there are things, and that's that's part of the attraction of Jing Yun, and partly why he becomes this lingua franca is actually because he is self-consciously an heir to Chinese literary tradition. And yeah. so he mm. builds he builds all this history and culture into his books. That if you read his books, you're actually getting like an intermediate level education in, in, in Chinese culture, mm, you know, wow. a, a lot more than a lot more than you think. Um, like mm-hmm. I said, you know, a, a lot of, um, a lot of his books are actually almost all of his books are essentially also historical novels. They're sent, they're set in specific moments in Chinese history where mm-hmm. a lot of the characters are real life characters who get mm-hmm. fictionalized. And so so you if you if you read these books, you can't help but to learn a lot about this history. So mm-hmm. like the, the Duan family of Dali, like the kingdom of Dali in real life, in real Chinese history was this minor statelet that did not matter. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. so, Song Dynasty China basically let them live, allowed them to exist as a buffer state between themselves and uh, Burma, essentially in Southeast Asia. Mm. But like in in the course of you know real Chinese history, they're you know they were like an afterthought. But because of Qin we all know about the Kingdom of Dali. <laughs> uh, mm. There's all these you know details of 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 um, particularly Song Dynasty history because uh, the first two books of the Condor Trilogy are set in the Song Dynasty, and then Tianlong uh, Babu, the you know semi uh, god, and semi devil, is set in the Song Dynasty. So you you know you learn a lot about this history. His first book, *The Book and the Sword*, said in the 18th century, you know, you learn a lot about the uh, the reign of the Qing Emperor, and uh, you know his policy of conquest in what is now Xinjiang, right? Against <laughs> his suppression of Muslim rebellions, yes, you know, with uh, contemporary resonance. If if uh, you know, if, if if we want to talk about that, um, so you learn a lot of history. You learn a lot about there's there's a surprising amount of culture. Um, surprising like even beyond what I already talked about so um, if you I don't know if you remember uh, you know we talked about zhi, the, the Duan family's technique do you remember Xianglong Eighteen Zhang Yes, eight, we used eight,
1: to play eight, that because, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the Hong Kong TV. Because, like, I exactly. mean, we're talking like 80s kind of special effects now, right? Right, so, right, like, right. If we watch them now, effects. If we watch them now, Terrible. they'd be like, yeah. oh my god, this That's is stupid. awful. Yeah, but yeah. obviously, in my childhood, we didn't have this stuff on Western TV, right? We didn't mm-hmm. have something similar. We didn't have people on wires, we didn't have all that wire work, we didn't have flying yeah. heroes. So, for sure. a child like me, so the eighteen,
2: the eighteen <laughs> the palm strikes to subdue the palm dragon was amazing. Yeah. So they bit, yeah. literally
1: had eighteen palms on the screen, and like this power, like <laughs> it would come out, and they'd be eighteen pounds. So we would enact <laughs> these eighteen hands, like it was like. A no, real... you're not supposed.
2: To... Oh god, is that what they did? You're not supposed. To... It's not eighteen hands. It's not. It's not. You know. It's not the thousand. Hands either the 18 it's like it's a, it's a system with 18 moves right so each yes. move yeah it's okay <laughs> but but so so take that as an example right the the 18 Palm strikes, it shows up in in the condor trilogy and it shows up in the ten babu you know the semigod demigods and semi devils it shows up and it's like this incredible technique right it's like this incredibly powerful technique okay yeah what are the names of the moves called if you if you remember any of them no they're no, they're well, maybe they're, if you said
1: it, I'd recognize them.
2: <laughs> well, they're named things like Jianlong uh, seeing the dragon in the field. Uh 前龙无用, the the um, 哇, 前龙无用, 前龙, the dragon who's in the you know the diving dragon, the dragon in the water is not doesn't do anything, is not is not whatever, is not active. Uh Feilong Zai flying dragon in the sky. Ah, Kanglong hui, the dragon at its height has regrets um these are that's, I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's i mean i'm has, i mean you know turns turns around you know chooses to go back whatever mm. but where are you know, okay so he's naming these moves okay yeah. and you yeah and where are these where do you know where do you think these terms come from they come from the I Ching, the book of changes oh. one of the foundational texts of all of chinese culture Oh, so wow. when you're reading about, you know, the fictional heroes fighting with the 18 palm strikes, you're actually yeah. learning terms from the Book from of Changes. The Yijing. Oh. From the Yijing. Oh. And hmm. yeah, so there's there's a lot of that. There's a, there's um uh, in the Xiao Jianghu the, the Smiling Proud Warrior, his second to last book, the only major novel that's not a historical novel as well, right? That's not set against a, you know, a historic, specific historical background. There's a, I remember there was a move with the, the protagonist, Ling Hu Chong, he uses this move called 无边落幕, which <laughs> it's impossible to translate, but <laughs> that's, that's comes, that's a quote from a Du Fu poem from the Tang Dynasty. 无边落幕, xiao, 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 it's, it's, oh, a, it's a Tang poem. Oh. Right. And, but so 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 that's another innovation and so this this is where he's innovative so I'm, so i've been saying how he's in, he's inheriting a lot of tradition and he's expressing mm-hmm. this tradition right for a modern audience but this is one way he's innovating is like his his method of describing action was something nobody had done before mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and which is also incredibly difficult to translate into foreign languages which is this is why you know none non-chinese speakers find it hard to appreciate you know because what he's doing is well think about it you know, has a lot of fight scenes okay but you can only describe punches and kicks so many different ways okay <laughs> yeah. you want to say like yeah throw a punch at his nose okay and throw a punch at his stomach and you know like it kicked him okay whatever there's only so many ways to do that yeah if you're going to describe fights in detail it's going to get multiple really ones yeah yeah multiple yeah. ones like it happened all the time in wuxia yeah. books right that's gonna get incredibly boring and repetitive after a little yeah. while. Yeah. So so Jin Yong came up with this way of saying, of saying instead of saying, you know, he threw a punch at his nose, or you know, he threw a punch at his chest, he says, he used the move. A black tiger tries to steal tries to steal the heart. Hey, right? He says yeah. stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So what I was saying before, so you know, he used the move a flying dragon in the sky. Okay. That doesn't tell you specifically what he's doing yeah, but the mm-hmm. reader imagines there's a jump involved, right? You imagine yeah. he's leaping in the sky and something like that, right? You imagine yeah. he's doing something like that. So it allows, so he's he created this technique of using language in such a way as to make the actions interesting and allowing the readers to imagine what it looks like. You oh. imagine a super exciting fight in your mind without him having to spell out the punches and kicks. Yeah. And at the um. same time he gets to through the the names of the moves he gets to talk about Chinese culture mm. but also give characterization. Yeah. He gets to he gets to give you hints about the character. Yeah. What kind of character would use a move called something like this? So it's it's all it's all very interesting. So like okay so the 18 palm strikes to subdue the dragon, okay. All his moves come from the I and the I is a foundational text of Chinese culture. So the person mm. who uses the eighteen palm strikes is is al- is always a heroic character
0: in yes. the books, right? Mm. Because he
2: represents sort of the righteous Every Chinese culture, the righteous yeah. sort of center, you know, the, of 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 Chinese culture, right? Um, in um, in Saojianghu, uh, the, the the smiling proud warrior, there's a, there's a character who um, uh, there's one bit where he uses a move called Qing Shan Ying. Ying. The, the, the Green mountain is obscured in the clouds. It implied the clouds is, in, in, is implied, but the green mountain is obscured. you can't see it. And this character will turn out to be a two-faced liar. Mm. right? So he's you can't see what he's really thinking. he's 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 a man full of twists and turns. So, right. so it kind of mountain. you get
1: the characterization.
2: You get you get yeah. the, he's he's building characterization even in the fight scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this mm-hmm. was an innovation that um just blew everybody out of the water. You know all the other all the other you know all the other <laughs> you know writers like Liang Yusheng they couldn't do they they were just you know you couldn't do stuff like that or yeah. if you try to do it now you're copying him right yeah um, yeah. There, there were yeah. other, you know, there were other without writers like for, uh, Gu Long in Taiwan became important. Um, he he started out trying to trying to imitate Jin Yong, and then after a mm. few unsuccessful books, he's like, yeah, yeah, that doesn't work. I need to develop my own style, and so he yeah. developed a very, a very different style. Um, ah, interesting. And, and that's Gu Long. Yeah, yeah. he's like considered sort of next to Jin Yong. He's maybe the next, the second best, but right. you know, I stuck to the best. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I think for drama fans as well, like, I think some of the things that they might recognize, I think, as as characteristics uh, for his novels are of having morally grey characters. So you don't always have to have this kind of like, this is a pure white hero here, and this person is like very definitely evil. You know, there's nothing, there's not always a split between this person is pure good and pure evil. Um, And as Williams already mentioned, female characters are, you know, despite maybe these, this kind of Confucian stereotype. The, the female characters are very strong, you know, and we're now now we understand as well where that tradition comes from. Um but I think it also for modern readers it, it isn't overly kind of sexist in that way because you have um you know some really smart some of the smartest characters that Jin Yong ever created are actually women. Um yeah. so they are still they kind of still feel relevant for, for for people that are reading them in modern times and for drama fans as well that are watching them because this tradition of really strong Chinese Chinese characters, uh, Chinese yeah. female characters is, is absolutely characters. core of his novels. Yeah, yeah. well, you can,
2: you can understand it from, you know, just once you've started out on this wuxia world or the world of Jianghu, where people can develop essentially superhuman skills
0: through, yes. you know,
2: study and training. It's not magical. It's not super work. It's not hard work. It's hard work. <laughs> but, you know, hard work. <laughs> by the end of it you <laughs> work but by the end of it you basically have superpowers right and right. within this world there's no reason why women can't develop very particular sets of skills just as just as men can and so this is uh, in in a way once you've started Started out down this road of the wuxia, It's like, yeah, well, why can't the women learn the techniques too, right? Yeah. Um, and but of course, literally, the innovation was in the in the Tang Dynasty. A by the way, a relatively socially liberal time when when mm. women actually quite were were uh, relatively speaking, you know, could do a lot of things that you you may not expect of medieval Chinese society. Um, mm. But I suppose we do have to maybe acknowledge a little bit that. Um, Yes, uh, the, the Wuxia world is populated by strong female characters, but Jingrong's books are male centered. We have to I think we have to acknowledge oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. are. They are essentially all Bildungsromanes, right? They're all stories about, you know, the there's, there's German term Bildungsroman. There's, there's novels about a young man coming into being, coming into his mm. own. They're almost all about that. And um, the women that you know he has various girlfriends and he ends up with one of them and who's his true love um the, the women get to be interesting and kick-ass in their own rights but the the center of the, the protagonist is mm-hmm. the the male uh, you know hero who's who is who is growing up who is coming into his own yes so and there are you know limits to and this is this is as I sort of outgrew, I'm sorry to say, outgrew Jingyong <laughs> as I, you know, got older. Uh, read, read the real Chinese classics, as it were, read the you know Western books, um, outgrew a little bit is you know, you do have the the central characters are often actually relatively flat. Mm. Oh. The, the main hero, the main hero is actually at the end of the day, he's just good, usually. He's a good mm-hmm. guy. Yes. um, he's he might be good in a different way, um, but at the end of the day, he's a good person. um mm-hmm. so like in in the Condor trilogy, he, he tried to create he you know, he created Guo Jing, who is at the end of the day, he's just a good guy and and he's juxtaposed against these other characters who are, you know, not all good, not all bad and who are you know who maybe maybe start out as evil and then and then and then you come to sympathize with them or or vice versa. Mm-hmm. But the main, yeah. the sort of point of view character is no, he's he's just a good guy. And then in, in the second book, he tried to create, you know, Yang Guo, who is who, like I said, was this guy who's gonna go against the world, right? Even if, if you know, if the whole world is against me, I'm still gonna go my own way, like Manchester tells you to do. Um, but um, but the way he does that is is like, well, yeah, you know for to, to a modern reader, it's like, well, what he's doing is he's seeking true love none of us really against that like we don't think that's evil it's just it's just that within this the context of neo-confucian song dynasty is like you can't marry your teacher right so 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 that that's like a, that's like a critique um and um that's in part why uh you know his last novel the the deer and the cauldron his final mm-hmm. novel is deeply controversial uh Lu Dingji, because Mm. it's it's sort of anti-wuxia some people call it the anti-wuxia novel
0: because mm, he
2: subverts yes. all the conventions that he 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 had he had abided by in all his earlier books he creates this central character who is just a dick <laughs> 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 and he's just the worst and just every
1: is this the eunuch? is this the eunuch is he the guy that serves he, the emperor? Is this the one I'm he thinking? Pretends to be a unit for a so. while.
2: Yeah, he's not a unit. Yeah, he pretends so. to. Yeah,
1: that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the Andy Lau Tony Leung adaptation. I think I'm thinking of
2: right. There's been there was one. There's a Stephen Chow adaptation. I think. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, but he subverts he subverts all his previous uh, conventions. So so yeah, it's still a Bildungsroman, Roman, but this guy grows up by being a dick to everyone. And, and by cheating and lying and whatever, and somehow everything good in the world happens to him. He never even bothers to learn any kung fu. He just manipulates other yeah. people into fighting for him. So it's a wuxia yeah. novel with a central character who never learns how to fight. It's yeah, <laughs> interesting. And and it becomes, he ends up being you know he starts out as being like essentially like a beggar boy you know born in in a brothel and you know. Um, and then he ends up as a duke, and is the best friends with the, with the emperor, and actually helps China negotiate the Treaty of Nerchinsk with with uh, Tsarist Russia, sixteen eighty nine. That's 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 part of the plot. <laughs> so so that's the anti But uh, but you know, Jing Yong's obviously incredibly influential. The whole uh, the, the whole wuxia genre has been incredibly influential, actually globally. Um, you know, and um, even though, like I said, the books are incredibly hard to translate. Um, but yeah, Wu Xia is incredibly influential globally, and because Jing Yong is incredibly influential on Wuxia you know, he almost become he's, he's a synecdoche of 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 all of Wuxia ultimately, right? So yeah. I was yeah. I was deeply amused. Uh I don't know. Did you see? If you, I don't know if you saw John Wick Chapter Four?
1: I've uh, no, I haven't seen it. I've only seen the one clip where he speaks Cantonese. <laughs> he <swears laughs> Cantonese. Okay. Um, that's the only thing. Grace, I've seen. have you seen it? <laughs> I didn't
2: see the okay. most
0: recent
2: one. <laughs> Okay, so so you know, John Wick movies are by this point, wuxia movies,
0: mm.
2: and um, you know, the first movie might have started out as, like you know, guy avenging his dog, right? <laughs> right. That's, that's yeah. the premise of the first movie. <laughs> yeah, but then they leaned into that mythology of you know the world of the assassins, right? And and yeah. it the more it, it went on, the more it became to resemble. The Jianghu of wuxia fiction, right? These people who, if you're part of this world, there's a code you abide by, the rules, there are, you know, there are rules, Jonathan. I keep saying in, in the movies, but nobody cares about the law as we know it, right? You know, yeah. they kill people in, in broad daylight, and you know, the cops never come and they don't care. Yeah. Um, but in um in the fourth film, um there's a there's a there's this a, there's a hilarious moment. I thought it was hilarious moment that made me laugh out loud, where there's a bit where there's a radio station, uh, and the DJ at the radio station speaks into the mic and he says, Thank you for listening to W U X I A. <laughs> Oh <laughs> <laughs> so like you know, even they are you know, tongue-in-cheek acknowledging, oh yeah, we're basically missing a making a wuxia movie at this point um yeah, but um but that that's like a, a latest um sort of Hollywood example I saw, but you know, obviously you have all the Hong Kong, movies, you know, um um you have this you know the the, the Stephen Chow movies you have the adaptations you know with Jed Li and 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 um Donnie Yen and uh you know uh Tony Leung, all these guys you have even arthouse movies Wang Kar Wai made a made an art house movie that's you know dongsi do the ashes of time it's based on you know taking a little bit out of the Condor Heroes and making that into an art house movie. Um but yeah, and now it's gone. It's gone global, right? So Hollywood, you know, borrows all this stuff. So
1: yeah, yeah. totally. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you're a writer and a screenwriter. Have you tried your hand at writing your own stories?
2: <laughs> oh God, many years ago when I was uh, when I was a young lad, um, and, I wrote, <laughs> and I, I wrote two pages, and I realized the problem is yeah, you it's very boring to describe punches and kicks. <laughs> And and, and it's like, <laughs> oh, how does Jing do it? How does the master do it? And then, so I gave up on it. Uh, <laughs> but um, I actually, um, <laughs> we'll see if I manage to sell it. But I actually recently wrote a screen adaptation of the, the Hidden Lady Nye that we were talking about earlier, the uh, Tang uh, Dynasty uh, legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, moving the action from medieval Tang China to modern America. Oh, do that.
0: interesting
2: yeah and uh yeah ah. and um uh i'm trying to i'm trying to get the production company to bite uh we'll see how that goes um <laughs> so um so yeah so so i think you know it's kind of like you know once you've you've, you've seen what jingyong can do and you're like I, I i i can't i can't outdo what he's done right and uh yeah. i can he set the, he bar, set the bar high, high um i i can adapt i can i can try to adapt things um but you have to think of a good way to do it you know you have to think of mm-hmm. an angle you have to think of a way to make it work um right like something like outlaws of the marsh would be very hard to adapt to well certainly cinema would be very hard tv maybe but um you know it'd be very hard because there's way too many characters
1: right yes yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot there's a lot yeah, yeah so.
0: cool well um We will put uh, William's podcast information and socials up on our show notes. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast and sharing, (laughs) you know, your, um, it seems pretty vast, (laughs) vast (laughs) knowledge about uh, Wuxia and um, Chinese history and culture with us.
2: Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Until next time. Bye.
1: Bye. See you, Neiman. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our pod. Follow us on our Instagram at Afternooner Asks or our website, www.afternoonerasks.com our network studio afterglow brings you more podcasts for your enjoyment to get more k-drama content from a writer's lens and listen to your k romance guides check out Afternooner delight for any bts fans out there afternoona army is here for you with thinky thirsty and over 30 takes of after Me life or check out it's bananas the podcast where we build an appetite for juicy living with your host Becky Onesta. She explores how tasting new and diverse fruits can lead to self-discovery, joy, and connection. And if you want to hang with us and other K-drama fans, do consider joining us on Afternoon A Delight Patreon. There are different levels for you to access, and it's a lot of fun. Go to www.afternoonadelightpodcast.com to sign up. Finally, if you have any questions for us please feel free to contact us via our socials or our email, afternoonasks at gmail.com. We really look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, ciao ciao.